and good morning to each of you. We'll take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of Acts and the last chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 28. And we are going to finish, Lord willing, this morning our study in the book of Acts. And uh, we could call this morning the final leg of Paul's journey. He's on the final leg of his journey. If you'll remember, uh, he has been shipwrecked. He, along with 275 other companions, both prisoners and Roman soldiers and sailors, on a Roman ship headed to Rome. And uh, they are shipwrecked on an island called Malta. Uh, same name that we use today, island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And so we're going to, first of all, this morning, we're going to see two things. We're going to see some lessons that you and I can learn from the brief stay uh, that Paul spent on that little island of Malta. And then he's going to arrive in Rome, and we're going to look at uh, the last sermon in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul preaches And that is a sermon where he preaches to his Jewish brethren in Rome about his faith in Christ. So look there, if you will, in chapter 28. Uh, If you look there at the last part of chapter 27, you see that they had landed there uh, or had shipwrecked on some islands off the coast of Malta. And it says some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was. They all escaped safely to land. And when they had escaped... They then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So a couple of things there in that passage when they first arrived on the island of Malta. It was, remember, a storm was brewing. It was cold. It was raining. They were wet because they had all swam to shore or floated to shore on some type of uh, wood or anything they could find. And so uh, the native people there of Malta, and if you've got the old King James, I think uh, the old King James translates it barbarian. That doesn't mean that they were running around with bones in their noses. Uh, what that means is the, the Greeks sp- typically spoke of anyone who did not speak Greek as barbarians. And it didn't necessarily mean they were uh, considered to be less. That's just the way they described them. So these were native people of Malta. And so they built a fire. Remember now there were about 270-something people. So when you talk about building a fire to warm 270 people... We're not talking about a little campfire to roast marshmallows on. No doubt they had a huge bonfire going. And, and the first thing I think that we should notice is what did Paul do? Remember, Paul started out that journey as a prisoner. But we could say by the time they were shipwrecked on Malta, he had become the captain of the ship. Not in name, 
but in reality because the centurion who was the captain, if you will, he was making the decisions, he was listening to Paul and he had learned to trust what Paul told him. And so uh, Paul there was no doubt greatly revered by his fellow passengers, but yet as they're gathering sticks to build a fire, do we see Paul sitting over in a corner and saying, you know guys, it's been 14 days that I've been on this boat and I, I'm an older man, and, and uh, I'm just going to sit down here and rest. I'm sure no one would have said anything had Paul decided he was going to take a rest. As a matter of fact, they owed their life to Paul. He had given them the, the instructions as to how they were going to be saved. But the first lesson I want you to notice is that Paul was not too good to get his hands dirty. Paul was working. He was picking up sticks. Now... I don't know if you think that's in the job description of an apostle, but here we find Paul doing it. And as a matter of fact, Paul is the very one who wrote, if you do not work, neither shall you eat. Paul is the same one who mentioned in his letters that he was a tent maker, that he provided for his needs with his own hands. So if we know anything about the apostle Paul, it was that he was not a physically lazy person. Here he is after being on the boat for 14 days in a storm, cast about by the wind, floated onto the island, but yet he's still willing to go around and pick up sticks and gather firewood for the fire. So no matter what situation you find yourself in, let me encourage you, activity always helps. Just sitting around and doing nothing will not help your mind. It will not help your body. It won't help your emotions. Activity always helps. Find something to do. Find some activity. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He grabbed some sticks and there on that island, I mean, again, he was a great preacher. He was an apostle. Maybe he thought he should give a sermon to everybody while they're gathered around the fire. But no, he picked up sticks and he physically worked with his hand. So, number one, work. Do something uh, no matter where you are. And then notice the second thing, verse 4. As he was putting the wood on the fire, the Bible says there was a viper, a poisonous snake, who was hiding in that wood. And I guess as Paul picked it up, uh, the viper or the animal, the snake, bit his hand and latched onto his hand. That doesn't mean he was coiled around his hand. It meant he, he had bitten the hand and he was holding on to Paul's arm with his teeth, with his, with his, um, uh, his viper, his teeth. They're fangs. I knew there was a word somewhere and I couldn't find it. <laughs> fangs. He was holding on to his teeth with his... Holding on to his arm. My goodness. It's getting worse the further we go. It was, you got the picture, right? Let's cease any more description. But he's, he has been bitten by that snake. Well, I think there's another lesson. The first lesson is to stay active. Find something to do, no matter, even if you're shipwrecked, even if things are difficult, find something to do. The second thing, something unexpected occurs, and Paul is bitten by this poisonous snake. And I love the phrase, it says, and Paul shook it off into the fire. When you're attacked or you've got something that you are wrestling with, don't obsess over it. You know, Paul didn't say, oh my goodness, I've been bit by a snake. Look at the size of it. Oh, look at his teeth. It hurts. He didn't obsess over the snake. He didn't fear 
the snake in a terrified way. Now, I don't imagine he wanted to hug the snake, but he didn't lapse into a state of terror. He didn't run away. He also didn't fight the snake. He didn't get a stick and start trying to beat it to death. What did he do? He, he, he simply shook it off into the fire. You know, if you've ever played any type of sports or you've been on a playground and you get injured, of course, the older kids, what they used to tell us was shake it off, shake it off. What they meant was don't go tell on us and get us in trouble. You know, because you, you little kid playing with us older kids and you're going to go tell mom and daddy and we're all going to have to quit playing. You know, and, and, but you're on a ball field and, and you get injured in some way and they say, shake it off, shake it off. Well, I tell you, my friend, we certainly cannot take things lightly. I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't take things seriously. But there is a great lesson from this great apostle in that here he is picking up sticks. He's just been on a, on a shipwreck and on a ship for 14 days and nights. No doubt he's exhausted mentally and physically and emotionally and this snake bites him on the hand. But what does he do? He shakes it off into the fire. I think that is a great lesson to keep that lesson in our mind. When the enemy attacks, learn to shake off, shake it off. Don't obsess over it. Don't focus on it. Don't fight it. Don't even run from it. But simply shake it off and move on. Well, notice something else. And this is very important. It says that when they saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Do not let criticism destroy you. Here, Paul is a prisoner. Everybody knows he's a prisoner. And the viper latches onto his hand, and these native people, they're watching this, and... And like most of us, and, and this is prevalent, it, it is something in our psyche, and you may not think you do it, but you do do it. Matter of fact, I believe it is kind of a protection mechanism that we all have, that when something bad happens to someone else, we try to find the reason that it happened. And we hope by finding the reason that it happened, we will be protected from that same bad thing. In other words, someone gets cancer. And subconsciously, most of us, and you may not even realize it, but you're thinking, well, what behavior did they do that made them get that? Or perhaps that was some kind of punishment that God placed upon them. And somehow that makes you feel immune from it if you can identify the failure in another person that caused that to happen. Well, that's been true in all of human, human nature, and they see this prisoner get bit by the snake, and they think, aha, Here's why the snake bit him and not us. Because he no doubt is a murderer. He is a, a wicked man. And although he escaped the sea, yet justice has caught, up with, has caught up with him. And he is going to die. So he was criticized. Now I don't see Paul getting all upset. He saw people whispering about him. He didn't run over there and say, What are you saying about me? Are you talking about me? Are you? I'm not a murderer. I'm not a bad person. Paul was not destroyed by people's criticism. We don't see that he made any comment. He didn't respond to any... Now Luke, Luke is the author of Acts. So Luke knew what they were saying. So we have to assume that Paul also was aware of the rumor that was going around when he shook that viper off into the fire that, ah, this is a very wicked prisoner. And he is going to die. Justice has caught, has caught up with him and he's going to die. 
Don't let the criticism of other people destroy you. We are all susceptible to criticism. We don't like to be criticized. But don't let what other people say about you destroy you. But not only that, look what happened next. Nothing happened to Paul. God supernaturally protected Paul. And he didn't swell up. He didn't fall down dead. So they kept waiting around. I mean, why do people go to a circus and watch people walk on tightrope wires? Waiting for someone to fall. I'm sorry. You know, when you get people get in a fight, what does everybody do? I don't know. We did this when I was in school. And, uh, well, maybe y'all don't get in fights in school, but back when they would have a fight when I was in school, what did everybody do? Go break the fight up. No. We all went and watched it. Fight! Fight! Everybody ran. Boy, boy, he really got it. I don't know what it is about us, but everybody here on the island, they're watching, they're, they're watching Paul. They said, watch him. His arm's going to start swelling up. Just watch. He's going to fall down dead any minute. Just watch. They watched. His arm didn't swell. He didn't fall dead. And now, all of a sudden, the same people who said he's no doubt a murderer, now they say he must be a god. He is a divine being because who could have survived a bite by that poisonous snake? This man must be a god. Just like we should not let the criticism of others destroy us, do not let the praise of others deceive us. Do not let the criticism of others destroy you, but do not let the praise of others deceive you into thinking that you are something that you are not. Just as Paul did not argue and respond to the criticism that he was somehow a murderer, so when they begin to say that he was a god, we don't see that Paul said, I'm glad you finally saw the light. I'm glad you finally realized my true potential. Paul ignored both their criticism and their praise. And there's a great lesson there. You would do well if you will not allow the criticism of others to destroy you and you will not allow the praise of others to deceive you. Well, notice something else that he did there in verse 7. It says, In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, probably the governor, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They honored us also in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. And after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers which had wintered at the island. So they stayed there in that island for three months. But while they were there, Paul did something. And that's the uh, fifth lesson that we learned from his ministry in Malta. Number one is uh, to work and be active. Number two is to shake it off when you're attacked by the enemy. Don't obsess over it. Don't fight it. Don't run from it. Don't let criticism destroy you. Don't let praise deceive you. And lastly, meet the needs around you. Give what you have to those in need. And I'm not necessarily talking about money. Paul didn't have any money to give anybody here. But I'm reminded of uh, Peter and John when they were going up to the temple to pray. And remember the crippled man at the, 
at the temple, he asked for alms. He asked for a donation. And remember, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that is what Paul did. He went into this governor's home. They received him and he learned that his father-in-law was sick of a fever. So he went in and he prayed. And he prayed that God would touch this man, and God did. And God healed this man. And not only that, but it said others came from the island, and Paul ministered such as he had the ability to do. He ministered the gifts of an apostle. He ministered that healing to those people. Now, it's interesting that the Bible does not say that Paul preached to them. But it, the Bible says he was there for three months. And I, ju I, I just find it hard to believe that in the midst of praying and healing that Paul was not also preaching and sharing the gospel. Although Luke does not give us a sermon that Paul preached. But what, what Paul did do, remember Paul was the one who could rightly claim he was in great need. He'd just been rescued out of the ocean. But we find him working. We find him shaking off that serpent into the fire and not being disheartened by it. We find him not being affected by what others say about him, either bad or good. And we find him reaching out, not asking to be ministered to, but just as Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to others. So Paul is looking for the needs of others and he's ministering to people he does not even know. People who are not even Christians, who don't even know the Lord. He is ministering to them and sharing the love of God with them. So, that is Paul's ministry in the little, little island of Malta. As a matter of fact, if you ever travel to that part of the world, you ever travel to the island of Malta, there's a bay called the Bay of St. Paul. And it's kind of like a little beach area. There's some islands off the coast. And scholars believe it was those islands that Paul's boat was shipwrecked upon and, and that the men floated to that bay that's now called the Bay of St. Paul. But if you ever go there, it would be an interesting place to visit. But now, Paul, they move on to Rome and we find his ministry there in Rome. Look there in verse number 17. They arrive at Rome. And actually, let's go back up to verse 15. They arrive there at the port outside of Rome, and they begin their travel to Rome by land. It says, From there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Appia Forum and the three ends. That's 30 to 40 miles from Rome. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, Paul was a great apostle, but Paul was a human being. And Paul had the same emotions that we have. And although he's, remember, he was 14 days and nights in the ocean on a, on a ship battered by the storm, and then the ship sank, and then he spent three months on an island. And what did he do on that island? He wasn't sitting back rest, resting. He was working. He was ministering. He was working. And, and no doubt he was perhaps exhausted. Finally, he makes it to Rome. And he must have been getting a little tired, a little discouraged, because it says that his brethren, that is fellow Christians, heard that Paul had arrived and they made a travel 30 to 40 miles to meet him. And the Bible says that when he saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Don't ever think that you are too unimportant to encourage somebody else. We don't know the names of these Roman Christians. We don't know who they were. They were just ordinary brethren. But the fact that they were willing to go 30 to 40 miles 
outside of Rome and meet Paul and hug him and tell him they loved him. The Bible says that Paul was encouraged. He took courage. That encouraged the Apostle Paul. And sometimes all you and I need to do is simply speak a word. Maybe hug someone's neck. Maybe write a letter to somebody. I saw an interesting article or or kind of a little news clip of this little girl who had a, a nursing home ministry. Some of you may have seen that clip online. And uh, she went around a nursing home and asked the people in the nursing home, if you could have anything you wanted, what would you want? And she thought that they would say, well, a new house or a car. And, you know, people would say, I'd like to have some Vienna sausages. I'd li- I wish I had some oranges. You know, I wish I had some, uh, you know, little things. And she said, boy, this is great. And so she started making a list. And each week when she would go by the nursing home, she'd go by uh, the grocery store and she'd have a big box of Vienna sausages. She said, I think that was the number one thing that people wanted, Vienna sausages. You know, and she said she would go and, and it was the newscaster was interviewing her. It was kind of a public interest story. It was not in a, on a Christian publication, just a secular uh, news uh, story. But this young girl, it showed her giving a little... Some, some sausages, some, some fruit to, to some lady in the nursing home. You know, and the lady was hugging her neck and, and was crying. And the point was, she's not crying because she's got an orange. She's not crying because somebody bought her a can of Vienna sausages. She's crying because somebody encouraged her. The fact the girl cared enough to ask and cared enough to bring it and remember and come back. And so you have the power... You have the power to give encouragement to somebody. And just pray that God would show you who that person is. These people, we don't know their names. We know Paul's name. He's a famous apostle. But he was encouraged by nameless people. Just everyday people who went out, hugged his neck, told him they loved him. And the Bible says he thanked God and took courage. And notice there in verse 16, it says, And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, there are two imprisonments of Paul in Rome. The one in the book of Acts is Paul's first imprisonment. And that will last about two years, the book of Acts tells us. And that was basically house arrest. Paul was not under constant guard. There was a guard with him, but he had certain freedom. He could have visitors who could come see him. He was not mistreated. He wasn't down in a dungeon. Uh, He wasn't being beaten. He was treated respectfully. And we're going to talk about this as we close up the book of Acts, but most Bible scholars believe it's certain that after two years, after the book of Acts ends, that Paul is released from this first imprisonment. Then he will be arrested again, and that is his second imprisonment, and that's when he writes that letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, and that is at the end of that brief imprisonment that Paul is beheaded and executed by the Romans. But now, this first imprisonment, Paul has freedom. Paul can have guests. And the first thing that Paul does there in verse number 17 is Paul reaches out to the Jews in Rome. Remember, it's the Jews in Jerusalem who have caused Paul to be arrested. And Paul has a heart. Paul is a Jew. He loves his countrymen according to the flesh. And he desires that they come to faith in Christ. And so the first thing he does when he gets to Rome is the Bible says he calls 
some of the leaders of the Jews together. And there in verse 17, he, he introduces himself. He says, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And we talked about that phrase, the hope of Israel. You know, who, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about the Messiah. That the coming of the Messiah was and is the hope of Israel. All through the Old Testament, that was the great promise. And Paul is saying, it is for that hope, that promise of the Messiah, that I am being held by the Romans, and that I am bound by this chain. Well, they answered him in verse 21. They said, we neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came have reported or spoken any evil of you, but we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. They basically said, Paul, we, don't, we haven't heard, we've never heard of you before. We don't know who you are. Nobody's told us anything about you, good or bad. But we do know that this sect, this, this sect of Christians as they're called, who claim that Jesus is the Messiah, what we do know is that everybody speaks against them. That everywhere this sect is spoken against. So you seem like a respectable guy and you seem like an intelligent person and you don't seem like a guy that would be affiliated with this, this crazy bunch of folks that are calling themselves Christians. We'd like to hear what you say. So we're going to bring some folks and, and we're going to let you tell us what your opinion is. And so we know he had a lot of freedom because it says there were a large crowd there in verse number 23. It says many came to him in his lodging. And I want you to notice Paul's sermon in verse number 23. And this is a wonderful, a wonderful example of how to share your faith. Whether it's from behind the pulpit or whether it's just you speaking to someone you care about. Notice how Paul shared with these people that he loved. This were, these were Jewish men and women uh, there in Rome. It says, "...to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God." persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Now notice his method of preaching. Notice first of all the source that he uses. What was his source? It said he persuaded them from both the law of Moses and the prophets. His source was Scripture. That was the source of his sermon. He didn't come and say, let me give you some things I've been thinking about. He didn't say, let me tell you something I read in the Time magazine last week. Paul, was, he was speaking to Jews. They knew the Old Testament. And Paul said he opened up the Old Testament, the law of Moses and the prophets, and he began to share with them from the Scripture. That was his source. His source was the Scripture. And my friend, that is where you and I learned about Jesus from. Don't ever try to uh, unhitch your faith from the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the basis of your faith and of my faith. And without the Scriptures, we don't have a faith. What your mother told you is of, of no importance without the Scripture. What your grandfather believed is of no importance if it has no basis in Scripture. 
So Scripture, have you ever met Paul? I haven't. You ever met Peter? You ever met Moses? You know anybody that has? The only way we know about them is the Scripture. That is the only source of authority that we have. So Paul's source for his sermon was the Scripture. And our source for both our sermons and our sharing of our faith and for the foundation of our faith is the Scripture. So that was his source. But now notice also the subject that he preached about. What did he talk about? He said he testified of the kingdom of God and concerning Jesus. You know, the book of Acts begins with the phrase, the kingdom of God. Luke, in verse 3, it says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? He says his subject, his source was Scripture, but his subject was the kingdom of God and Jesus. The kingdom kingdom of God and Jesus. I like the way one author uh, defined the kingdom of God. He said it's the spear of salvation, the gracious domain of divine rule over believers' hearts. There's no sign that you can enter that says you've now entered the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not visible in terms of a physical boundary. The kingdom of God is within the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. How is it that you can meet someone that you've never met before that speaks another language than you, and yet they both you believe in Christ and they believe in Christ, and all of a sudden you feel like you've met someone from home. You have a person with whom you share. You, you're, you're citizens of the same country. You know, if you've ever been overseas, um, it was always, went to Ukraine a couple of times, it was always wonderful to run into somebody from America, you know, just by accident. We, we did that in a couple of places, ran into a, another preacher, and, and uh, you could usually identify them, you know, I, or I thought I could. They just looked a little different, acted a little different. And, uh, but you felt like, you know, hey, you know, they might be from the north or the far west, but they were from the same country. They were Americans. Hey, here's a fellow citizen. Hey, how are you doing? You felt like you'd met one of your kinfolks because you were so far away. Well, the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom that covers all of those who are inside the kingdom of God, who have given their heart to the Lord, who have said, Jesus, you're my king, you're my Lord. What happens when you become a citizen of the United States? One of the things they do is you raise your hand and you swear allegiance to the Constitution. You swear an allegiance to the country that you will be loyal to the country. What happens when you enter the kingdom of God? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when you come into the kingdom of God, you swear allegiance to Jesus Christ. You're saying, Lord, I give my life to you. You, Lord, are my king. I will obey you. I will follow you. I will serve you. Whether it is easy or whether it is hard, I am a member of the kingdom of God. I give myself to you. So he shared about the kingdom of God and he shared about Jesus, who is, of course, the Christ, the promised Messiah. Well, notice his style. You see, his source was Scripture. His subject was the kingdom of God and Jesus, the Son of God. But notice his style. How did he preach? It says in verse uh, number 23 that he explained and solemnly 
testified. He explained and solemnly testified. So he opened up the Scripture and he began to explain the Scripture. He began to expound upon the Scripture. He began to say, this is what this means. This is a prophecy. And I can, I can just hear him now in Isaiah, opening up to Isaiah 53. And, he, and, and Paul saying, this, this one that the prophet was talking about, you know he was, they were, he was talking to Jews. They were very familiar with the Old Testament prophecies. And they say, you know he was referring to the, to the Messiah. And it's, it's Jesus he was referring to. He was explaining the, the, the Scripture, expounding upon the Scripture. And then it says he solemnly testified. No doubt, he gave a mixture of both explaining the Scripture and his own personal testimony. No doubt, he told them a little bit about the Damascus Road. He said, you know, I, I, I used to say bad things about this way, just like you said others have told you bad things about this way. He said, but I tell you, when my mind changed, he said, I was on the road to Damascus to arrest more of the people of this way, and the bright light shone upon me, and I fell to the ground, and the voice said, Saul, Saul, who are you persecuting? I can just hear Paul giving his testimony. So how did he share about the gospel? He shared it from the authority of Scripture, depending upon Scripture as his basis of authority, but he also interwove into that his personal experience, his personal testimony. That the Scripture is much more than black letters on a white page. The, speech, the Scripture is alive. And the Scripture comes alive in our heart. When we, when we accept it with faith. And if you never take the Scripture and accept it by faith, it's just words on a page. It doesn't mean anything. But it means something when you embrace it and you give yourself to it and you pledge an allegiance to the author of Scripture, which is Jesus. That is when it becomes alive in your heart and in your soul. You know, someone might be here today and you say, I just don't understand all this Bible stuff. And I just don't understand all this Christianity stuff. Well, of course you don't. If the Spirit of God hasn't touched your heart, it's just, it's just words. But my friend, when the Spirit of God stirs your heart and you respond to the stirring of the Spirit of God, that's when it makes something different to you. That's when it means something. Because it is a personal experience then. It is not simply words you've heard, but it's something that changes your life. That's what happened to Paul. Only when God stirred his heart and he responded in a positive way did Paul's life change. Well, what did they say? What were their reaction? I'm sure, by the way, uh, you should feel yourself fortunate. We're going to be through here in five or ten minutes. But how long did his sermon last? That wasn't in my notes, but I just thought I'd mention it. He says, from morning until evening. Wow. From morning until evening. So, boy, Paul had a lot. You thought, you thought I was long-winded. Boy, you should have been around when Paul was there. From morning until evening, he reasoned with them from the Scripture. From the Scripture and of his own testimony concerning Jesus. Well, what about the invitation? What happened? It said, verse 24, And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Now, I thought it was interesting. I... That, that word that is translated disbelieved to us is just kind of a passive word. I don't believe that. The Greek word that is translated disbelieved is really a very active word. It doesn't simply mean that they casually said, oh, it doesn't make sense to me. It meant they had a, 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 a vigorous reaction to that. That when they heard that message, they didn't simply say, oh, I don't believe that. They said, they vigorously disbelieved it. 
They had a vigorous negative reaction to what Paul said. Some believed it, but some were very upset by it. They didn't simply passively disbelieve. I wouldn't say violently in terms of physically violent, but in a sense, emotionally, in a violent way, they disbelieved. They said, this, this makes me angry. What you just said, Paul, makes me mad. This is absolute lunacy. I reject it wholeheartedly. And you know, Christianity, true Christianity, Bible Christianity, the name of Jesus still has that effect today. It's not easily simply dismissed. Often people either graciously and thankfully embrace it or they violently reject it. Well, what did Paul say after that? His final word says, So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word. And this is what Paul said. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 9, I mean Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He said, The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, and now he begins to quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. Go to this people and say, Hearing you will not hear, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Now Paul stops quoting from Isaiah, and he begins speaking. Verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He's preaching that same message. The kingdom of God and the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what happened next? I mean, it seems like Luke just, he just drops the pen and paper and leaves us hanging, right? What happened? Well, we can piece together what happened from the writings of the early church fathers and from the rest of Scripture. Nero is emperor. Paul got to Rome about A.D. 61. And the Bible says he was in Rome for two whole years that nobody forbade him. He could have visitors. He preached. It was kind of a house arrest type situation. And we believe in about A.D. 63 that Paul had a hearing before Nero. Remember while he, was in, uh, while he was there in that first imprisonment, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Philippians, he wrote Colossians, he wrote Philemon during those two years that he was there under house arrest. And if you read those four letters, they're very positive letters. You can see Paul is hopeful. He believes he's going to be released. He's certain things are going to go well. And he does. We believe that he had a hearing before Nero, and Nero acquitted him and said, okay, you're free to go. We know from the writings of the early church fathers that Paul then went on what's called a fourth missionary journey. There's three missionary journeys mentioned in Scripture, but here's a fourth one that he went on after his first imprisonment and went perhaps as far as Spain, and he went about preaching. Well, something happened in... Uh, I believe it was July A.D. 64. 
Well, I could make a bonus question out of this. Nobody would get it. Something happened in ancient Rome while Nero was emperor. We know the year. We know the date. We know the month. July AD 64, the great fire of Rome broke out and burnt most of, of Rome to the ground. Well, everybody began to think Nero had said it because he had plans. He wanted to demolish a lot of Rome and build some new buildings. So he began to look for a scapegoat. And you know, the Christians were fond of talking about the judgment of fire that was coming. You know, the fires of hell and the judgment for the ungodly. And they thought, aha, there's a good... I bet they started that fire. They're always talking about how wicked the city of Rome is and how wicked the people of Rome are and that judgment is going to come upon uh, these wicked people. I bet it was the Christians that set that fire. And Nero blamed the Christians and a huge persecution broke out in A.D. 64 against the Christians. Now Paul, no doubt if Paul would have still been in prison, that would have been it for him. He would have not been released. But he had already been released. But sometime after that, Paul was arrested again. We don't know why. We don't know where, but we do know the letters that he wrote. In between the time that he was released and the time he was rearrested, he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus, called the pastoral epistles, because Timothy and Titus were pastors and preachers. But then he's rearrested, and he's put in a dungeon, not in a house arrest anymore, but he's put in a deep dungeon, and he's chained. He has no freedom. The persecution against Christians is in full effect. Nero is still emperor, probably around A.D. 67. And that's when Paul writes 2 Timothy, the last letter that he wrote. And maybe it would be a good way to close this book of Acts. All that the Apostle Paul has gone through, we've read a lot of it, from his conversion, to his travels, to his arrest, to his appearance before Agrippa and Festus, and, and now he's in Rome, his ministry to the people in Malta, but now, it's about five or six years later, probably about A.D. 67, he's been arrested, he's in chains, he's in the bottom of a dungeon. Ever, many people have, have, have abandoned Paul. People that are listed in Scripture as his good friends. Paul mentions them in 2 Timothy. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And, and so many people, he says, only Mark is with me. Because now, it's got very serious. If you say you're a Christian, they're going to kill you. And some people have abandoned Paul. He can't find hardly anyone to stand by him. And he writes a very, some say a sad letter to 2 Timothy, but in that sadness you see glimpses of victory. And he writes this to Timothy as he gets ready to close out the letter. And keep in mind that probably just weeks, certainly no more than months after Paul penned these words, he would be let out of the Mamertine prison there in Rome. His head would be put on a block. And because he was a Roman citizen, this was a favor to him. He could not be crucified as common criminals because he was a Roman citizen. He had to be beheaded. And his head would be put on a block and a Roman soldier would take a sword and chop his head off. And Paul knew that was coming. And you see it in, in these words. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. And I can just see Paul because he loves Timothy. And, and Paul, you know, he, he's a... He wants to preach, but he knows his time for preaching is over. He's got to hand the ball off to somebody else. It's somebody else's turn now. And he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And here he goes. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. We read that passage so often, but to me it has great meaning when you think about the old Apostle Paul writing those words for the first time. Knowing that he is about to die. That he's going to go before a judge and that judge is going to sentence him to death and he's pouring out his heart. He's thinking about all of his life and the things he's gone through. And he says, I have, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. And I know there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the righteous judge, not these unrighteous worldly judges, but the righteous judge will give me on that day. And he encourages young Timothy. He said, and not to me only, but to all those, to all those who love His appearing. Boy, that gave Paul comfort. I bet it gave Timothy comfort. I tell you what, it gives me comfort. gives me comfort. If Paul can do it, you can do it. If Paul can do it, I can do it. We can run our race. We can be faithful to the end. And we can follow until Jesus calls us home. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the wonderful words of Scripture. We thank You for this wonderful book that You allowed the blessed Luke to write and to be preserved for us that we might hear the workings and the acts of the apostles and what they did, what they went through, that it might give us encouragement, it might give us courage that we might be faithful in the task that we have been given. Lord, I pray Your blessing and encouragement upon every believer here today that they may be encouraged by You. Lord, I pray if there's one here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that Your Spirit would draw them and they would give their life to You and become a member of the kingdom of God today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing a hymn of invitation, you know, when Paul preached to the Jews, some believed and some did not. Maybe God is speaking to your heart. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I'll be glad to pray with you this morning. Or maybe you want to just come pray at the altar. You just obey the Lord as we sing. Peace, 330.